Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's good to be in God's house this morning, amen. And uh, this is the first Sunday where we've got our youth life class happening. And uh, our Sunday school class is obviously happening. And so we've got our adult life class here now. And uh, I feel like I've only got a few people here because so many young people and so many kids are in different rooms this morning, amen. But that is good. Amen, because it lets us talk about adult stuff. Amen, that's important to our growth and our development. Amen. So before we get going this morning, why don't we all stand and let's just open in prayer, shall we? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Precious Jesus, Lord, what an honor and a privilege to be in your house, Lord God. What an honor and a privilege to learn more about you today, Lord God. Father, I pray you have your way today. Let your will be done, Lord God. Lord, in everything that happens, Jesus, be exalted. Take your place, Lord God. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing this morning. We're going to continue on this morning with part three of the series that we started a couple of weeks ago. We've been talking about avoiding life's potholes. Amen. And uh, if you cast your mind back to the first week, in the very first week we spoke about how we can sometimes give more waiting. It's not, not, not thinking the right words here, but we place more emphasis on our heritage rather than a direct relationship with God. We kind of go, well, our, my grandfather lived for Jesus and my father lived for Jesus, and so I'm going to live for Jesus because that's my heritage. But we see that in the life of King Rehoboam, who is the Bible character that we are studying, even though his father was King Solomon, the wisest ruler who had ever lived, and his grandfather was King David, probably the most famous king of Israel. And yet Rehoboam still lost the kingdom because he was thinking, well, it's my right to rule. It's my heritage to rule. And he didn't have a direct relationship with God. You'll remember we spoke about how both King David and King Solomon both had a direct communication with God. They spoke directly to God. They didn't need someone in between them. But Rehoboam had to rely on the man of God telling him what God thought. Right Now, that's in Old Testament. Rehoboam should have been able to talk to God. Amen. God would have talked to him if he was listening. Amen. So that was the first week. Second week, we looked again at Rehoboam's life and we discussed how Rehoboam got counsel from the elders, which is a good thing. And then he got counsel from the young people who had grown up with him. Nothing wrong with getting counsel from multiple people. The Bible tells us that where the multitude of counselors is, there's safety, amen, in Proverbs. King Solomon said that, right? But the motive for Rehoboam going to his young man for counsel was wrong because he wanted someone just to tell him what he wanted to hear, amen? And we must surround ourselves with people who are willing to tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, amen? Because if we only hear what we want to hear, our heart will lead us astray. Our heart will distract us, amen. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we are getting direction from ourselves, we're in trouble, amen. And so we've got to seek counsel that speaks into our lives. And sometimes it'll be word of, words of correction. Sometimes it'll be words that we don't really want to hear, but we need to accept it and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to take this because I allow this person, this mentor, this leader my pastor, whoever, to speak into my life and give me direction. Amen? 
And of course, we also spoke about how we need to allow the Word of God to speak into our life. We can't just cherry-pick different scriptures that we like and go, well, I'm going to apply that, but I'm not going to look at that scripture. That's no good for me. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going to continue on this morning with pothole number three that Rehoboam hit. And my first point that I want to make this morning, the first thing I want to share with you is I have noticed, I've been pastoring now for, I know, I'm losing track of time, seven years, eight years, how long has it been, Sister Elsie? Must be, I think it'll be eight years this year. And uh, I've, I've been in ministry for a long time before that, and I have noticed doesn't matter the age, young people, old people, in-between people, amen. People tend to seek God when things are going wrong in their life. Have you noticed that? When things are going wrong, when everything's going crazy, that's when you see people at church. And they come to the altar, God, I need your help, God, I'm in trouble, God, get me out of here, Lord, I'll do anything, just help me work this out, Jesus. And often, God does, because He loves His people. Amen. And he does amazing things for us, and we get out of trouble. And then I've seen that those very same people, they come to church for one month, two months, they miss a couple of Sundays, and then you don't see them. And then something goes wrong in their life. And they're back in church, God, I need your help. God, I'm lost without you. Jesus, help me. God helps them. And some people go their entire Christian life life going up and down up and down god help me yes i love you jesus okay i'm good i've got this and then something goes oh god i need your help amen it it seems to be a thing and 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 i don't know if you've noticed this but it seems easier almost to maintain a relationship with god when things are going wrong in our life have you noticed that when things are in chaos in your life at least for me It's easier to spend time in prayer. It's easier to read God's Word because you're desperate. But it's when things are going well, when things are going good, when you've got money in the bank and food on the table and, you know, everything's wonderful, it's in those moments where you can struggle to maintain and build a relationship with God. Why? Because we are raised to be self-confident. Our culture raises us to be self-confident. We talk a lot about how, well, you need to, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make your own way and you're going to be okay and just work hard and, and you'll be all right, amen. And, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, in some ways it is a good thing. We ought to work hard. We ought to be confident in our abilities, but we cannot put them above God, amen. We cannot put them above God working in our lives. And this is the problem that people have. And this is why we see these kind of things happen. People come to church, everything's going crazy in their life. So they get their life right with God. God starts helping them work through stuff because they're relying on Him so He can work. And then when everything's going well, they go, okay, God, I got this. I'm good. Why? Because they're self-confident. I'm all good. It's all good. I got this, God. And and this was a pothole that Rehoboam hit as well because he had self-confidence rather than God-confidence. And if you've got your Bibles, let's have a look at this. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles. Brother Stan, would you be willing to go grab me a bottle of water, please? I forgot to get one before I got up here. 2 Chronicles chapter 11. We're going to read a few verses in here. So let me just remind you where we're at with the narrative here. 
So you'll remember King Rehoboam took the throne and spoke to the young people. And the young people said, well, you just tell your, tell your people that, you know, your father beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. And your father was kind of rough, but I'm going to be really rough. And I'm going to be real mean to you. And so the, the people rebelled. Thank you. The people rebelled. And 12 of the tribes were not united anymore. Ten of them went with Jeroboam. Two of them stayed with King Rehoboam. Amen. And so, Rehoboam's life is in chaos. Oh, no, Lord, what's happened? The kingdoms have split. I'm in trouble. I don't know if he was high-pitched like that. That's just my imagination. The kingdoms have split, and I don't know what to do. And Jeroboam, he took the children of Israel down the wrong path almost immediately. You know, he sacrificed worship of God for political expediency. He said, if my people go to Jerusalem to worship the one true God, they will start following Rehoboam instead of me. So let's just ban worship of God. You can come worship this golden idol over here and this golden idol over there. And Jeroboam did a bad thing. Amen. And so the result was all the Levites and all the priests throughout all the land of, of um, Israel came to Jerusalem. They said, well, if you're not going to worship God, we want to worship God, so we're going to go to Jerusalem. So they went to Jerusalem. Now let's pick up the story here in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 17. Say amen when you're there. It says this, so they strengthened, this is the Levites and the priests, they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong. And made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. Why? For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. Right? So for three years, Rehoboam, helped by the priests and the Levites, said, Oh, we've got to seek God. We're going to need his help. We're going to get wiped out by Jeroboam. He's got ten tribes. I've only got two. Lord, we're going to need your help. God, get me out of here. Lord, help me. What's going on, Jesus? I don't know if he said Jesus. That's just me right? And he wanted help. And so for three years, he walked in the ways of David, who served God, a man after God's own heart. He walked in the ways of Solomon, the man who was the wisest man who wrote proverb after proverb after proverb for his son to instruct him. He followed what they said. But let's move on a little bit. Chapter 12 and verse 1. And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all of Israel with him. You see, Rehoboam's grandfather, David, he understood the importance of placing his confidence in God. Amen. You read some of the Psalms. And you read the language that David uses in those Psalms. He's like, God, I'm frail. God, I'm weak. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, then now, now let Israel, let all of my people say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. David understood the importance of, I can't be confident in myself. I didn't earn this kingdom because I'm someone special, but God gave me this kingdom. And so my confidence is found in Him. Amen. Over and over and over and over again in Psalms, David continually compares himself to God and says, man, I'm not worthy. This is your kingdom, God. These are your people. You gave me this, amen. So David understood 
that God confidence was what sustained his kingdom. Amen. Rehoboam's father, Solomon, he shared the same sentiment. You read in, in, his, in, his, in his Proverbs. Now, now, Solomon didn't experience the same kind of strife. Think about some of the things that, that David went through. I mean, David's son, Absalom, rebelled. He thought he was going to lose the kingdom. He thought his own son was going to kill him. Amen. He had all sorts of things happen. He had to capture Jerusalem. He built the kingdom on the back of blood, sweat, and tears. Amen. Now, Solomon didn't have this. He, was, he inherited that. But look at what Solomon said. Solomon said this. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. Solomon looked at the struggles of his dad and said, Wow, the reason my dad came through is because he placed his confidence in God. And so Solomon said, I'm going to do the same. This is what I'm going to do. I'll write this for my son. I'm going to write this down for Rehoboam. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. I have respect and awe for God. I can be confident in that. God is going to fight for me. Amen. So Solomon, too, had the same um, way of thinking, the same approach that his father had. I'm going to put my confidence in God. You know, Solomon, when he prayed, when the Lord appeared to him and said, what would you like? Tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. Solomon asked for wisdom. Why? Because he said, how can I lead your people? He recognized that without God's help, he had no way of leading these people. And yet, he did. Because God helped him. His confidence was in God. Now, Rehoboam, he is a full generation removed from the turmoil of King David. The stories of his great uncle Absalom, who tried to take the key. That, that was, that, he was probably not even born when that happened. You know, having to fight. To bring in a kingdom. Standing in the armies and seeing the giant there who could wipe out the enemies unless David, with the help of the Lord, hadn't killed him. All of that is gone. He's got this beautiful kingdom. Everything's set up. Not a problem in the world. Everything's going great. His confidence began to grow in himself rather than God. And of course, we know he hit that crisis right at the beginning. He experienced strife. He experienced dissent as the majority of the tribes of Israel left him. Amen. And when he faced conflict, he turned to God for help. We spoke about this at the beginning. You read it. Let's see if I can find it here in the scripture. Verse 6, chapter 12. Whereupon, see what happened was, he forsook the Lord and all of a sudden Shishak shows up king of Egypt, right? So he goes through one crisis, the tribes leave him, and he strengthens the kingdom with the Lord's help, because the Levites and the priests are there, and then he says, I got this God, everything's under control, and then Shishak shows up, the Egyptian king. And what happens? He's in this same kind of pothole that we talked about at the beginning, right? Oh God, I need your help. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Amen? And so Shishak shows up. Amen? And so then he turned to God. But then again, as soon as it was all done and dusted, he turns away from God. Amen? And this is what Rehoboam did. He only needed God during times of difficulty. And we cannot be like that. Amen? His confidence in himself, his misplaced confidence in himself, created a ripple effect that impacted the entire kingdom. 
right? Because Rehoboam forsook the law of God. Everybody forsook the law of God. The entire kingdom followed after Rehoboam. Amen. It affected everybody. It affected the destiny of the kingdom. Amen. Because of his own self-confidence. You see, Rehoboam's problem was that he felt that he needed to prove himself to the people by ruling in his own ability instead of relying on God. Amen. What is this? This is pride. Plain and simple. Amen. In his pride, Rehoboam elevated himself, making himself great in the people's eyes. And that's why God had to send Shishak. You read it. It was God who stirred up the king of Egypt to go and attack the kingdom of Judah. It was not Shishak's idea. God put it in his head and said, hey, you need to go, go beat up Rehoboam. He's getting too big for his britches. Amen. And so Shishak came. Amen. You see, the problem was, was that what Rehoboam didn't realize, or maybe he didn't even care to realize, is that his own self-confidence led to hardship for others rather than himself. Shishak came. There were battles. People died. People gave their lives because of his own self-confidence and his own feeling, I can do this, I don't need that. See, here's the thing. Pride does not just affect you. Self-confidence in your own abilities does not just affect you. The Bible says, you know, being aware, being aware of a root of bitterness that springs up. I believe bitterness comes from pride. Amen? And it defiles many, the Bible says. When our self-confidence is misplaced, when it's not in God and it's in ourselves, it rarely just affects us, but it affects everybody around us. It affects our family. It affects our church. It affects our community. It affects our friends. It affects people we work with. Amen? It affects everybody around us. And this is what Rehoboam did. Think about all those people who lost their lives in battles that they didn't have to fight if Rehoboam had just trusted God. Now, it's very, very easy Point the finger at Rehoboam, and you're a bad king. <laughs> you silly boy. You should be better than that. Amen? It's very easy to do that, but how often do we do the same? I think we do. And I think we do because it's human nature. We do it without almost thinking about it. It's, it's a common mistake. It's very easy to find ourselves in that same position where, you know what, I'm doing okay. Everything's working out okay. Everything's under control. I've got it sorted, God. You can just back off. Let me manage it for a while. It'll be a, we can find ourselves in that same position, amen, <clears throat> if we're not prayerful. Most of the decisions that we make will be founded upon our own ability rather than faith in God and prayerful acceptance of His direction. You know, there's so many decisions that we make. Some of them big decisions I'm talking about now. Do I stay in Cairns or do I leave town? Do I get married? Who do I get married to? Right? If we don't do these things without talking to God first, we run the risk of trying to work these things out in our mind. What church should I go to? Where should I attend? You know, where should I work? Does God want me at this workplace? Or am I just getting it because I'm getting more money? Hello? Amen? And these are the kind of things where we've got to be careful. You know, what role will we do in ministry? Where is God calling us to? Do I feel like I want to be a pastor just because I want to be a big man and have everyone look at me and stand on a stage and hold a microphone? Or is God actually calling me to this? 
Is this what God wants for my life? But so often we can fall into the trap of going, well, you know what, I'm, I'm a pretty good speaker and I look pretty good up on the stage and on live stream. I think I should pastor. Hello? <laughs> it's true, we can fall into that. And, 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 and why we fall into the trap is understandable. It is our nature to depend solely or primarily upon ourselves. You know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, Pride does not come from God, it comes from this world. And we are in this world. We are in the shopping centers, in the workplaces, in the schools, in the universities, all over the place. And this is the prevailing culture of the world, amen? And so we need to make a conscious decision to reject that and say, no, my confidence is found in God. Yes, I've got some abilities, I've got some skills, but they come from God. He gave them to me. They're gifts from Him, and I want to use them under His guidance and for His glory, amen? Amen. So this pride comes from the world. There's an old saying, maybe you've heard this before, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. The problem with pride is that the more we elevate ourselves, the more we accomplish our own self-confidence, the bigger the fall when we finally do fall, amen. And it will. You know, we, we misquote that scripture. We say pride comes before a fall. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, pride does not just lead to a, oh, I've fallen over. Let me just dust my knees off, pick myself up again. Okay, God, you can take over now. No, pride leads to destruction, complete annihilation, right? That's where pride leads. That's the end point of pride. Hello? And so we got to understand that and we got to make sure we don't fall into that. In other words, we have to learn to humble ourselves. We have to learn to have humility before God. Why? Because when we are humble before God, He becomes responsible for our success. Amen? Think about Jehoshaphat. Right? Jehoshaphat was the king of Jerusalem, as the song says, a long, long time ago. Right? And, and he was attacked by the enemy and he couldn't beat them. What did he do? The Bible says he humbled himself and came to God. God, I'm the king, I have an army. I have a defensible city, but I can't do this, God. This is beyond my ability, my skill as a king. And God said, great, let me take over. Why? Because Jehoshaphat understood that if I humble myself before God, God becomes responsible for my success. God becomes responsible for my ministry. God becomes responsible for who I am as a person, amen? And so he will exalt us in due time. Our job is to humble ourselves. And this is what the Bible teaches us, amen? So there are some keys to establishing a life of humility. Things that we need to make sure we do so we can make sure we stay humble. Because I'll tell you, humility is not just a decision. You can't just go, okay, I'm humble today. Look at how humble I am. Woo, so humble. <laughs> You know, I've, got, I've got a group of people that I, um, we play a little mobile game together and I, we're on this little chat group called Discord and we talk to each other and it's all sorts of people from all over the world, all sorts of ages and this is one guy and he's just mind-blowingly funny because he says things like, I can't believe how good I am and he means it, he's being serious, 
I've got such an high IQ. I'm so intelligent. And, he goes, and, and I'm very humble as well. <laughs> right? You can't just say that. Humble, humbleness comes from actions. Humbleness comes from the things you do. Not just going, okay, today I'm going to be humble. Look at how humble I am, everyone. My goodness, I'm so humble. I'm so humble I can hardly fit my head through the door. No. Humbleness doesn't come. Humbleness comes from actions every day. Here's the first one. You ready? Keys to establishing a life of humility. We need to learn to seek God in the good times as well as in the tough times. Amen. God will be there in the tough times. God has got your back. Uh, we're in covenant with Him. Amen. And so we can understand, hey, He's not going to leave us nor forsake us because He's a covenant-keeping God. Amen. But we can leave God when things are good. And so we need to learn not to be like Rehoboam. He only sought God when things were going bad. When he had established himself, he forsook God, right? So we need to learn, I've got to seek God in the good times, not just in the bad times. Because if I seek God in the good times, I know he'll be there for me in the bad times. It doesn't mean bad times aren't going to come. There will be bad times that come, amen? But when we seek God in the good times and the bad times, we are establishing a relationship with God. But most importantly, we are establishing the right order. We are understanding, okay, you're above me, God. Whether things are good or bad, you're still sovereign. You're still my king. You're still my Lord. I'm not in charge here. You are, even when things are good, even when things are bad. Amen. See, the problem with seeking God in just the bad times is we treat God like genie, you know, like Aladdin and genie. Okay, I'm going to get a bottle here. Okay, God, I've got some problems. Okay, God, I need three wishes, please. Make all my problems go away. Give me lots of money and put carpet in the church. Okay, God, thank you. You can go now. No, God's not like that. Amen. God's not a vending machine. Here's another common mistake. Okay, God, i got a problem in my life. I'm going to pray and put a dollar worth of prayer into the machine. Oh, I need another dollar of prayer. I'm going to pray some more. Put an, oh, I can get what I need from the vending machine, God, now. Okay, God, thank you. Bye. Go on. No, God is not our genie. God is not our vending machine. No, He is God every day, every time, every moment, whether things are good or whether things are bad. And that is what leads to a life of humility is understanding the good times come from God and He is in charge. And sometimes times of testing come from God and He is still in charge and He is still God. Amen. That's what leads to humility. Amen. So the first thing we need to do is we need to seek God in the good times and in the bad times. Here's the second thing. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Start reading from verse 5. Say amen when you're there. Very familiar passage of Scripture, I'm sure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Say amen when you're there. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Notice that. This is important. It doesn't, didn't say... Well, the Father made Jesus of no reputation. 
It doesn't say someone else made Jesus of no reputation. It doesn't say the Romans made Jesus of no reputation. The Bible says that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Here's the second key to having a life of humility. We have to let go of our desire to prove ourselves. You see, sometimes I think if we were God manifest in the flesh, if we were Jesus and we came down, all right, world, I am here. I have all power. Build me a palace. I will take the Lamborghini. Hello? Just make it happen. Right? We, we, we would probably struggle with that. But the Bible says there was nothing about Jesus that made him stand out. There was nothing in his form that made him look like he was anything special. He looked like a carpenter from Nazareth. He looked like a servant. He looked like just one of us. Amen. Our problem is, is when we come to walking with God, we have, and it's not even in our relationship with God. It's at work. It's at school. We feel this need to prove ourselves. Look at how good I am. Look at, man, Woo! I'm so good. Man, I preach so well. Oh, wow. No. Because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about God. Amen. And we've got to understand our responsibility is to make ourselves of no reputation. Amen. We've got to be like Jesus. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. We've got to follow that. We've got to say it's not about my reputation. I don't have to prove myself because I'm already in covenant relationship with God. I just serve Him at His pleasure. Whatever He wants me to do, that's what I do. Amen. So we've got to let go of this idea of, well, I need recognition. I need to be promoted. I need to be, you know, I want someone to look at everything I'm doing and how amazing and how good I am. Hello? We're going to let go of that and allow God to have his way. Amen? And Jesus did not have to humble himself and serve us. He could have come as a prince if he'd wanted to. He could have come as a king. He even had the opportunity to. Satan came to him and said, all the kingdoms of this earth. I will give it to you, just like that. Bow down and worship. You can have it. But he rejected that. He chose instead to come and serve us. Why? He didn't have anything to prove. He came to earth to show us love and to put us on the path back to God. Amen? So we have to, too, let go of any need to prove ourselves. Truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what you do, or who you are. If you are in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what matters. That is the most important thing, amen? I don't care if you're a president or a pauper. If you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the best thing you could ever be in this world. You can have money, not have money. Have a house, not have a house. Have a good car, have a bad car, have a bicycle. It doesn't matter as long as you are in a relationship with God. In eternal worth, that is worth far more. And that is what matters. Praise the Lord. So we have to let go of our desire to prove ourselves. Why? Because when we try to prove ourselves in the eyes of others, we elevate our own abilities above God. When people are saying, wow, what an amazing person you are. You're so incredible. Oh, that's dangerous. We need to be pointing people back to God. We need to be pointing people back to God. Let go of the need to prove ourselves. Amen. First Peter, let's turn to First Peter. These are like the really important points. That's why we're going to turn to all these scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 5. 
in verse 6. Again, a very familiar passage. Say amen when you're there. It says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Amen. The third thing we have to do to live a life of humility is do not trumpet your own accomplishments or your destiny. You don't need to tell anybody about it. Oh, Sister Sala, did you hear my message last Sunday? Oh, it was so good. It was, I, mean, I was on fire. It was powerful. Man, I really preached good. No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Man, did you, did you see what I did at work the other day? Woo, I'm so good. I'm amazing. I'm the best thing that ever happened to this company. Did you see the grade I got on my assignment? I don't have any young people here, so I can't really use any young examples anymore. Did you see what I did at work? Did you see what I did at college? Did you see what? Look at how great I am. No, don't trumpet your own accomplishments. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Amen. There is no need to fish for compliments when we do something great. Why? Because when we do that, we take the attention off God and we put it on ourselves. Instead of it being, wow, what a great job God did. Wasn't that an incredible altar call that happened after church on Sunday? It becomes, oh, what an amazing word the pastor preached. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is God doing things in our hearts. That's what matters. That's what matters. Amen. So we have to humble ourselves. You know, you may be very talented, and we have some talented people in this church. You may be facing, you may be looking at some incredible things that God wants to do in your life. You may have an incredible future, but there is no need to brag about where you think you're headed in life. If God wills it, it will happen. And if you can live like that, if God exalts you, it will place you on a solid foundation. Amen. So the first key. Seek God in the good times as well as the tough times. Second key, let go of your desire to prove yourself. Third key, do not trumpet your accomplishments or your destiny. And the fourth key is found in Galatians chapter 6. Someone's getting excited about the preaching. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. It says this, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The fourth key to living a life of humility is to put others before yourself. Remember from last week, Rehoboam's elders encouraged him to be a servant leader. They said, put the people first. Exalt the people first. Let them come first before yourself. And they will serve you and love you and fight for you and protect you for all of your reign. What did his young advisors say? You're the king. Exalt yourself, man. Take your rightful place. Be the boss. What happened? People left. They left. Amen? Brothers and sisters, we should be there for one another. We should bear one another's burdens. We should love one another, pray for one another, support one another, care for one another. Why? Because when we do that, we are demonstrating our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're saying, we love you so much, we want to treat you the same way we treat Jesus. We want to care for you like we would care for Jesus if he walked in. Can you imagine what churches around this country, around this world would be like if everybody came saying, I want to treat you like I treat Jesus? Woo. Life of humility. 
bear ye one another's burdens. And to be honest, there's times when we face things we can't overcome by ourselves. Amen? Pride says, I don't have time for you. While love says, I'm going to put my interests aside and help you fight your battle. I'm going to put what I care about aside. I'm going to help you win. I'm going to help you be victorious. Put your others before yourself. Last key. It's found in Philippians. Very familiar passage of Scripture, one that we quote all the time, verse 13. But I actually want to read a little bit before that. Philippians chapter 4. Let's read from verse 11. Say amen when you're there. It says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You know, we often quote that verse, sort of like, you know, um, Rambo kind cowboy, like, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Whoa, yeah, woo. But you read it in context. Paul is saying all things is both how to abound and how to be abased. Amen. And so we need to learn that we can be humbled through God's strength in our lives. It's the only way we can be humble is if God is involved in our lives. And so what we need to do then is not go, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but understand in the good times and the bad times, we are to be content. We are to understand that even when things are going bad, God still gives us strength to pull through. When things are going good, God still gives us strength to pull through. Whether times are good or whether times are bad, we still need His strength to help us get through. And that's why we can say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me amen it's not talking about accomplishment it's talking about endurance it's about keeping on going fighting the good fight amen and understanding that we can be content you know Jesus was just content doing the father's will think about it he was homeless he said he said I don't have anywhere to lay my head Birds have nests, foxes have holes, the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere even to lay his head. He was itinerant. He told his disciples when he sent them out, he said, don't take any food, just go on out. Don't take two coats, don't take any money, just go and God will provide. Man, if we were going to do that, we'd be like, okay, God, I need an allowance from home missions and I need this and I need that and I need all of this stuff and just sort everything out for me and Hello? It's a true story. And yet God is saying, no, 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 when things are good, things are bad, whether you are bound or whether you are based, learn to be content. And that is how we live a life of humility. Because then it no longer matters if we are abased or whether we are bound. God is still on His throne. And He's still in charge. Why don't we all stand this morning? My challenge for you this week Because as I look through everything we've talked about today, I think the biggest challenge facing 
Christianity, facing Christians, and perhaps even facing our church, is this understanding that we should seek God in the good times and in the bad times. We are very, very good at seeking God in the bad times. We are experts at crying out to God for deliverance. But we've got to seek Him in the good times as well. And that's my challenge for you this week. I want you to take stock of your relationship with God. And I want you to be real serious with yourself and go, okay, God, am I fully relying on you both in good and bad times? Or is it only in the bad times where I come to you and I need your help? Is it only in the bad times where I'm crying out for deliverance? But in the good times, it's, it's kind of okay, God. I'm in control. You know, I've, I've got everything under, under, down pat. You know, just fine. Let's leave it. It's okay. Back off, God. We can't be like that. And I think that's the biggest challenge facing Christianity today. Is we have become very self-reliant, very self-confident. We've got lots of money in the bank. You know, one of the greatest things about this church being in the position this church is in right now is I can't see a way out. But I know God can. And it is teaching me, it is teaching me to learn to trust God. Because if I start to worry about this myself, I'll give myself a heart attack. I really will. But I'm trusting God. I'm being practical. We're not being stupid with the money that we've got from the Lord. We're encouraging people to give, but I'm not losing any sleep over it. I'm not worrying about it. I don't lie awake worrying how we're going to do this. Why? It's His church. It's not my church. Amen? And that's the attitude we need to have with our lives. Good times and bad times. There was a time over the road where we had like $40,000 in the bank account. Woo, how good was that? Now we don't. Because <laughs> it's here. Amen? But we still trust God. Whether we've got money in the bank or no money in the bank. We still trust God. Amen. Let's pray together. Precious Jesus. Oh, we worship you, Lord God. We thank you for this day, Lord Jesus. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for each person who is here, Lord, listening to your word, Lord God. Lord, we have all been guilty, myself included, Lord Jesus, of times where we've been confident in our own abilities and we think we've got everything under control, Lord God. Lord, how little we actually know, Lord Jesus. Lord, we declare today, Lord, that you are sovereign. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whether times are good or times are bad, Lord Jesus, the problem, Lord, lies with us, not with you, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, I pray, to humble ourselves, Lord God, to live a life of humility, Lord, a life of dependence and trust in you, Lord God, that whether things are good or whether things are bad, Lord Jesus, we can look to you, Lord, the author, the finisher of our faith, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord to lay aside the desire to prove ourselves, Lord. Help us to lay aside the desire for title, the desire for recognition, the desire, Lord, for people to look up to us, Lord God. Lord, but help us, Lord, to look to you instead, Lord Jesus, and to just understand, Lord, if we are following you and following your will for our life and we're in covenant relationship with you, Lord, then that really, Jesus, is all that matters, Lord God. Lord, thank you for each person that's here today, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. Help me, Lord, I pray. Help me, Lord, I pray as well, Lord. We love you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Let's uh, have a few minutes fellowship while we set up for main service.